So evening came and morning came, the fifth Sunday of Lent, 2022. You see, keeping in mind that on this journey through the five gospel readings of the 40 days, the two questions that have focused the reflection are, who is Jesus and who are you as disciple? The call then through these 40 days to go deep, more deeply into the truth of who the Lord is and who we are so that together we can move through the desert and into the Garden of Easter. On this fifth Sunday of the Lenten season, we come to one of the most celebrated texts in the New Testament. The woman, the adulterous woman, who is brought to Jesus in the temple. It's a famous story, but it's got a somewhat messy history. In fact, it's not found in the earliest manuscripts at all, for reasons that are hard to identify. But then when it does appear, eventually in the New Testament, it appears in various places in John's Gospel, and at one point in some of the manuscripts, it even appears in Luke's Gospel. So it did the rounds, but whatever its genealogy, it is a magnificent story. And as I've said to students time and again through the years of teaching Scripture, that this is your life. We're not just talking story in that vapid sense. This is the Word of God that interprets us before ever we interpret the Word. So place yourself in this story Now, it can seem that these scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, are about to stone this woman because of their zeal for the law of Moses, the Torah. But there's no evidence of that if you look carefully at the story. So so one of the questions we have to ask when we enter the world of this story is, What's it really about? Where is its focus? Now, it's true that a woman caught in the act of adultery was to be stoned, but so too was the man. And interestingly, in this story, you'll notice there's no, um, no suggestion that the man is there, no hint of him. He's escaped, but there's only the woman. And keep in mind, too, that they're, they're in the temple. Now, if there was to be any stoning a public execution a la St. Stephen in Acts of the Apostles, it certainly wasn't done in the temple where Jesus is teaching. It was done outside the city. And again, the story of St. Stephen's martyrdom tells that tale. So the fact that they're in the temple, there is no man, suggests that they're not interested in the law of Moses, which is very clear in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, that people who are adulterous need to be expelled permanently from the community. Because, you see, what was at stake was the holiness of this community that is called to be holy as the Lord God is holy. And adultery was seen as compromising that holiness of the community of God in a most radical way. It's it's like a, a finger that becomes gangrenous. At some point it has to be amputated. 
And stoning was a kind of amputation in order to preserve the God-given identity of this community of God. In other words, to defend the holiness of the community, which is to embody the holiness of God himself. And stoning was the, the mode of execution because the whole community took part. You couldn't point the finger and say, well, you were the execution. No, it was about the community and the whole community, community took part in the execution of the person or the persons. It sounds a bit brutal, but its logic is impeccable. But, but it would never have happened in the temple. So it's not as if they're standing there with their big rocks in their hands about to stone this woman there in one of the courts of the temple where Jesus was teaching. That's not where the story focuses. So where does it focus? The fact of the matter is Jesus is teaching the people in the temple. It's important to keep that in mind. These scribes and Pharisees erupt onto the scene. Uh, They're not interested in the woman They're not interested in the Torah. The woman's just a prop. And in a sense, the law of Moses is also, it's just a prop or an excuse. They're not out to get the woman. They're out to get Jesus. And that's really where this story focuses. So so here they are, Jesus teaching a crowd. They come to disrupt his teaching and to discredit Jesus in the presence of the people who are hanging on his words in the temple court. They put a question to Jesus. And it's one of those trick questions where you're damned if you say yes or no. For instance, uh, Moses says stonish. Do you think we should, Lord, or, or Rabbi? Do you think we should stone her? What's your answer? This is the trap. Because, you see, if Jesus says, yes, stone her immediately, take her outside the city and stone her, they can say, ah, all this talk of yours about mercy is sweet nothing. Words to the wind, you who talk mercy, but don't enact it. But if he says, yeah, don't stone her, put the stones down, don't stone her, they say, ah, you are contradicting the law of Moses. So you see, if Jesus plays the game on their terms and accepts their parameters, he's gone whichever way he chooses to answer. But in fact, he does something mysterious and other. What does he do? First of all, he's silent. So the the word of God at this point is silence, and that's our experience of God's communication. The word of God can be silence. So the question then is, why does he say nothing? But even more mysteriously, he bends down and writes on the ground. Now, a lot of people have have spilled a lot of ink down through the centuries trying to work out what Jesus wrote on the ground. Well, as far as I can see, you'll never answer that question. It's not the question to ask even. It's not so much a question of what does Jesus write on the ground, but why doesn't the evangelist, John, tell us what he wrote? So what's the function of the silence and what's the function of writing on the pavement of the temple court? 
Both are, in fact, a sign that he just won't play their game. He won't engage them on, his, on their terms at all. And this is something that you find often when Jesus faces his opponents in the Gospels, that they pr- propose a, 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 the rules of the game, a set of parameters, and he will not play according to those rules or accept those parameters. He establishes his own. So the silence and the writing are simply his way of saying, I won't play your game. And then eventually, having established that, he does speak. Let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. And that's where the story begins to turn. Because you see, his words eventually discredit them as judges. So here are they seeking to discredit Jesus, but he turns the tables on them and discredits them. Discredits them as judges of the woman, but more particularly discredits them as judges of Jesus because it's Jesus they're out to get. It's Jesus they're out to judge. And they are utterly discredited as judges of Jesus. In other words, their plan backfires and they recognise it. So in one sense, when Jesus does speak, he becomes the word written on the ground, the word made flesh. We don't know what he might have written, but he is the word. The word of judgment against those who seek to judge him. So they drift away. Why? Because they themselves have been discredited. They themselves have been shamed because their plan has backfired and in the presence of all the people who were there to listen to Jesus. Jesus then speaks directly to the woman. You see, for, for the religious leaders, the woman was just a prop. She didn't matter. They had to get him. But Jesus turns directly to the woman who's never named, so she becomes a person, not a prop. And that's a radical shift in the story. And when he does speak to her, I mean, she's probably there thinking, well, she's going to get a nice old blast from this rabbi. And what does she get? She gets a question. I mean, the delicacy, the sensitivity of this is extraordinary. Woman, does anyone condemn you? And then the word of no one, she says, hoping that he won't. And then what does he speak? Not a word of condemnation, but a word of forgiveness and then a summons to new life. So there's the structure of the word spoken to her who is no longer a prop, but a person. A question. And the word of God, just as it can be a silence, can also be a question. It's not just statements. The word of God is a question that we have to answer. 
And the question then gives birth to a word of forgiveness. Again, that question of how deal with sin. One answer was don't commit sin. Second answer was ritual atonement. But they didn't work. And Jesus eventually will say and show the only way to deal with sin in the end is forgiveness, to which repentance opens the door. This story isn't a parable, but it has the same structure of parable as we've seen in our earlier reflections. It begins in an ordinary sort of world, well, ordinary for that time. It goes into a recognisably human world, in the temple, adulterous woman, and so on. And then the extraordinary, the deeply mysterious moment comes, born of the ordinary, and that's the kingdom moment, as I've said in an earlier reflection. When Jesus turns the tables on his opponents and turns the woman from prop into person, But also this story is unfinished because he says, go and sin no more. He summons her to new life. But he doesn't say, you come back here in three weeks' time and you give me a full report of your behaviour. He's not going to chase her up and keep an eye on her. She's not on parole. She hears a word, but she's not on parole. So the story is unfinished because we don't know whether she did it all over again. It's like the prodigal son. She, like the son, is given the freedom to do whatever by the Lord who is forgiveness, but who is not a police officer or a parole officer who's going to chase her up. At that point we come to, not the end, surely, but a point of rest in these reflections that have taken us into some deep and, I hope, engaging and even fascinating places because these texts that we have read together are inexhaustible. If you ever think that you have reached bedrock, that this this text or these texts can yield no more meaning, uh, you know you're on the wrong path. In these brief reflections, I have only scratched the surface. So I I invite you to, to explore more of the cosmos, not only of these five gospel readings, but of the gospels from which they are taken, the gospel of Luke, the first four, and now the gospel of John. And in doing that, my hope is that you will see more In answer to that question, who is Jesus? And again, don't think that you've ever reached a point of bedrock in grappling with that question because the question itself takes you off into the infinity of God. And then the other question that pulses through these Lenten days, who am I as a disciple? Who am I? The adulterous woman and so on. In coming to see more of who Jesus is and who I or you may be as disciple, we are on the way to leaving behind the desert through which we pass in these 40 days and entering at last the Garden of Easter where there's always the morning light 
and where all the cries of lament in a, a deeply wounded world finally give way to the song of Easter. Easter.